Hello everyone, Callie Hannah here with a quick disclaimer from the future, 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 future. <laughs> the episode you are about to hear was recorded prior to my public coming out as a transgender woman. As such, you will hear myself and others refer to me by my dead name and he, him pronouns, and that is not how I want to be referred to now. I, well, I go by Callie and I use she, her pronouns. Uh, the rest of the episode has been left as is for the purposes of historical preservation, but uh, just know that it is not accurate to my current uh, gender identity. Thank you, and enjoy the show. The hipster and the nerd. Yes, hipster and the nerd. The nerd. One went to the genius. The other is quite absurd. Exactly which is which. Off the fence is which. Yes, good sir. The hipster and the nerd. 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 Hipster and the nerd. Created by Steven Spielberg? No. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Hipster and the Nerd, the podcast where we discuss movies, comics, TV shows, video games, and all manner of geek and pop culture to see what we can make of it. I am Chris Hanna. With me, of course, is my co-host, Brian Brecker. How are you doing today, Brian? I'm doing pretty good. I'm currently uh, riding through the, uh, the solar system. Currently, they're using a giant Jupiter projection as a game of Pong, and, uh, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, I need to take this mask off. Hi, I'm here. Hello. <laughs> um, so, yeah, if you don't know, this is the segment called Rocket Ship Roulette, where we review random movies. The lore, of course, is that I am stuck on a rocket ship. It's an alien ship, <laughs> and I'm hurtling through space, but thankfully, the aliens that sent me here... Uh, are constantly sending us new movies. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, Chris is just at home. Chris got the easy deal on this part. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just I'm just here at my house. Yes. So what movies are we talking about today, Chris? Okay, well, before I do that, do you want to explain what happened last time? Oh, yeah. So we got about an hour into recording this episode, of course, and then I realized I had been recording on the wrong computer because i have like a pc and a laptop the laptops for my notes and i had the recorder up on my laptop which wasn't connected to the microphone so i realized i had about an hour's worth of really shitty audio <laughs> so we have to do this all over again because we are dedicated and that's what we do yeah although i again i'd like to emphasize that this was entirely brian's fault okay it wasn't entirely <laughs> my fault i was Okay, yeah, it was entirely my fault. <laughs> it was almost not my fault if you consider me as a different person than the person I was yesterday. Which I think there's a philosophical argument to be made there. Well, anyways, now that now that we've fully laid the blame on blame on you, Brian. Um, a little bit, like you deserve. Anyway, so today we are talking about two uh, pretty iconic horror movies: uh, the Blair Witch Project and the original Child's Play. Yeah, and which one do you want to talk about first? Let's uh, let's talk about the Blair Witch Project because I have it uh, first in my notes here. All right, so the Blair Witch Project um, is a found footage horror film. Chris, what do you think of the found footage genre as a whole? Eh, like, I think the idea behind found footage is conceptually interesting. Like, it's a neat idea, I suppose, but I think in execution, 
a lot of the time it just doesn't really or at least i haven't and i to be fair i haven't watched too many found footage movies it's like this and hellraiser revelation is the worst movie ever made um <laughs> okay that was only partially found footage yeah it's only partially found footage to be fair it's still the worst movie ever made um that is incorrect that's the human centipede too okay well it's the worst movie i've ever seen thank you um so I have seen a couple more found footage movies. I've seen Cannibal Holocaust, which, of course, originated the genre as a whole. Another one of the worst movies ever made. I agree. Uh, I've also seen The Blair Witch Project before. I've seen Paranormal Activity, Hellraiser Revelations, and that basically sums up all the found footage movies I've seen overall. Uh, I tend to find my major issue with found footage horror is usually the question of why would somebody keep recording past a certain point? Like, if you're afraid for your life, why would you continue to record what's going on? I feel like, I don't know if there's ever been a found footage movie where it's some dumbass YouTuber trying to make a viral video and then they get, like, stalked by a serial killer. I feel like that would be an interesting and realistic premise for a found footage movie. I think the only way that it could make sense is is if at a certain point the filmmakers decide that they need to like videotape what's going on so that people if they find it will know what happened to them. I think that makes more sense but oftentimes weirdly movies don't even go with that angle that do this sort of thing. Yeah that which is weird. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like found footage generally tends to be used more as an aesthetic than a plot device in a lot of cases. Yeah. So the Blair Witch Project, of course, had a giant viral marketing campaign in the 1990s. It came out, I think, in 1999. Yeah, 1999. And this movie was a big deal because, for for starters, the big thing with the marketing is that the idea that this was a uh, is that the idea that they were trying to basically make people think that this was a real thing that happened, and that the three main characters did actually go missing, and that th- this was actually lost footage, and they had missing persons posters up, and there was this whole like investigation about the legend of the of the Blair Witch and it was this it was this whole thing that was honestly really creative but could never be done today because if you act because if people actually thought they were dead people would call you out on how scummy it is right yeah. um well they didn't like actually claim legally they didn't that these claim people it were legally dead. but the marketing the marketing perception was meant to be that right Uh, This calls back, of course, to Cannibal Holocaust, one of the first found footage movies ever made. And that's about a journalist that's looking for some uh, people that went to a tribe in South America that are cannibals and realize that those people that made the documentary were killed because they were like sadistic monsters. Um, And that was the progenitor of the found footage genre. Now, when they were marketing that, Ruggero Diodato, um, he made his actors sign contracts so that they would not appear in public. So that they would maintain the authenticity that these people were really dead. And this led to a lot of legal problems. So there is a big difference between what Cannibal Holocaust did and what the Blair Witch Project did. Hmm. Uh, Because the Blair Witch Project was fiction. Everybody basically knew the official line was that it was fiction. With Cannibal Holocaust, I think most people knew parts of it were fiction. However, uh, since nobody had ever seen anything like that movie before, they assumed that a lot of it was real because also a lot of the animal deaths in that movie were real. So there was obscenity charges and there was even like a murder investigation until Ruggero Diodato, of course, had to come out and be like, no, these actors are actually still alive. You know, I just happened to horribly mistreat them on the set. Yeah. That's a different story. It's, it's a bit different because you can't be as extreme as that because you'll get into legal problems. To be fair, um, during the first year 
uh, that the film was on IMDb, the actors were listed as missing, presumed dead. Yeah. Were the actors' names the the, the character yes. names? I didn't know that. But uh, what I do know is that the people that made this movie, um, they were art students, mostly like film graduates. Uh, the production company Haxon is actually a reference to a 1920s silent film about witchcraft. Oh. It's very creepy. I recommend you all go watch it. It's free on YouTube. Uh, that's H-A-X-A-N, Haxon Productions. And a lot of the other stuff that's interesting is that uh, it's kind of based off like the Salem witch trials and a lot of other yeah. different like witchcraft lore. Although it's never ex- like extremely literal on what it actually is. It's left up to the imagination and meant to be, like, ambiguous. Oh, also, this movie is made for, like, $200,000 and, of course, made way more money than that. Oh, yeah, the final cost was $200,000, but it was shot on an original budget of $35,000 to $60,000, and the final cost was $200,000 to $750,000 after post-production edits. Right, post-production edits and probably also marketing. $248.6 million. Yeah, Sundance, it premiered at Sundance Film Festival, and the critics absolutely loved it. Was it was also apparently uh, um, apparently screened at 40 different colleges in the U.S. to build word of mouth after the Sundance. So there was like this whole viral marketing word of mouth campaign that got the movie turned into this viral sensation. Yeah. Is the movie any good, though? It's fine. I would agree it's okay, it's fine, but your idea of fine <laughs> is more positive than my idea yeah, of Yeah, I mean, like, I it's... It's, it's fine, you know? So, the movie opens with this little introductory blurb about, like, in the in the summer of 1994, three teenagers went missing in the woods looking for the Blair Witch, which, of course, I think is a callback to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre <laughs> in the 1970s, uh, directed by Toby Hooper, of course, rest in peace, uh, where it started with this opening blurb that said, The film which you are about to see is an account of the tragedy which befell a group of five youths. In particular, Sally Hardesty and her invalid brother, Franklin. It is all the more tragic in that they were young. But had they lived very, very long lives, they could not have expected, nor would they have wished to see as much of the mad and macabre as they were to see that day. For them, an idyllic summer afternoon drive became a nightmare. The events of that day were to lead to the discovery of one of the most bizarre crimes in the annals of American history, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That also had the kind of idea of like, oh, is this a real story? Is this based on a true events? It is. <laughs> but you know, you don't know that at the time. In the 1970s, you didn't have the internet. So yeah, saying based on a true story meant a lot more back then. Oh. And I think that's also true with, uh, with the Blair Witch Project, although it's slightly different because this was the rise of the internet and popular culture so a lot of people were starting to get into the internet but didn't really understand how it worked so there are people that would just assume that everything they find on the internet is true <laughs> do you think someone would really do that just go on the internet yes. and tell lies <laughs> i gasped at the thought i don't think anyone's ever done that so chris how does this movie start after the opening well point? the movie opens and uh, so it has our, our three main characters, Heather, Josh, and Mike. All of which are assholes and stupid. Not in this opening part, though. In this That's opening true. part, they're okay. actually nice people and seem like they would be friends. That's not true, though. Josh and Mike are dicks even in the beginning. Okay, but they're slightly less dicks. You can, they're, they're less assaholic you could, dicks. You could argue that it's just them fooling around. Like, instead of mm-hmm. being an explicit pattern of behavior. 
So, like, they're gathering up their supplies, and they're also doing interviews with locals about the legend of the Blair Witch. Which is like a, a Maryland thing about some witch that apparently killed a lot of babies in the 1940s. Yeah, and there was this woman who, like, mm-hmm. disappeared in the 1800s, and then she, and then when she showed up again, she started babbling about a floating woman. Yeah. Uh, and there's all these different scenes with these locals, some of which are actors and other which are just people that they got uh, just locally. Yeah. Um, and one of the babies, <laughs> uh, when the person is talking about the the legend, keeps covering her mouth and being like, no, stop talking about it. <laughs> I think that baby is one of the best actors in the movie. The baby is I very I would say good. the baby is the most, and and we'll get into the probably the reason why as we go on, but I feel like the baby is the most likable character in the film by far (laughs) yes so they have a map of course they're getting supplies they're getting food which the food doesn't really look like something that you'd really want to get like they're dumbass 20 year olds (laughs) so they're like getting like snack food and stuff like that the food seems to consist of giant bags of marshmallows and nothing else (laughs) which is bizarre because in the movie we never actually see them eat anything they don't even bring like a cooler you'd think they'd bring a cooler with like some like frozen hamburgers or some shit like, that's basic nope. camping 101. Like, <laughs> I know how to do that. <laughs> I like the scene where they're gathering the marshmallows, and then the camera zooms in on the marshmallows, and then Heather's like, feel the softness. Damn, now I want s'mores. Yeah, now you want some goddamn s'mores, but you can't have any, because we need to spend the next hour talking about these two and movies. They can't, okay, and they can't have s'mores either, because they didn't bring any chocolate bars or graham crackers. They just brought the marshmallows. Or fire. Or fire. <laughs> They don't make a fire in this either. That's true, they don't make a fire. Hey, if we're underwater, how could there be a... I, do you think they knew how to make a fire? Because I don't think they would have, because well, I mean, they seem like idiots. I mean, I feel like they could have... Even the dumbest person could figure out the basic rub two sticks together approach eventually. I mean, eventually, but I think they would starve to death before that true. happened. True. <laughs> um... I have a very low approximation of these characters' intelligence. No, they would be able to st- label to light a fire. For Okay, so for some stupid reason, these people bring cigarettes on the trip instead of actual food. Yes. So therefore, they have a lighter. Um. So what happens next after that? So then they go into the woods. So they go into the woods, and of course, Heather has the map. Now, the map is a very <laughs> important plot device that we're going to have to talk about a bit. Because originally, Heather has the map and a compass. Yes. And they, they drive off into this sort of isolated uh road area near the forest and then they start wandering into the woods not really knowing where they're going which is dumb they should have <laughs> just looked at the compass and went in one direction but anyway they're trying to get to or a at least cemetery. had a preset destination <laughs> oh but before they go into the cemetery and before they go into the woods of course they shoot this hilarious b-roll of them and it's like in black and white and it's at another cemetery that's nearby and they're talking about how all the children died in the 1940s very mysteriously Ooh, what killed all these children in the 1940s and then there's also like an older guy that's like corroborates the story and is like, yeah, there was a bunch of kids that died when I was a kid. Well, it was really kind of weird. But, you know, nobody really questioned it. It's probably that ghost that lives in the woods or something. And then there's also a crazy lady that they interview as well. Although I think we're supposed to think she's crazy who claims that the Blair Witch, while covered in a shawl and had furry arms, uh, attacked her in the night. She also <laughs> claims to work for the government <laughs> and various other things, which I think means we're not supposed to take her seriously. Yeah. 
and then they go into the woods and uh, they they start wandering around the woods and um, the men start acting like dicks. Yeah, there's the start... yeah, there's that bit where they point the camera directly at Heather's ass. I'm like, I see a dirty behind. Dirty behind. Real. They they Real classy reference guys. they reference deliverance. Yes, they which do is reference interesting. deliverance. I have explained to you what deliverance is since we recorded this previously, <laughs> but for those that don't know, Deliverance is a movie that my father showed me. It was a very good party movie. <laughs> no, it was not. A totally good party movie. <laughs> have your friends over. <laughs> have your friends over uh, socially distance, uh, wear a mask and watch Deliverance. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's about a bunch of guys that go into the woods in like this back in like this redneck kind of area and they all get eaten or no they don't get eaten they all get killed by these weird ass redneck people that are all probably inbred and are rapists. Okay. So it's a fun movie and obviously there's sort of like a survivalist aspect to it that is similar to what I think the Blair Witch Project was going for. Yeah. Although the people in the Blair Witch Project suck at surviving anything. Yeah, because they have very poor planning skills because they're dumbass 20-year-olds. So guess what happens after they wander into the woods? So they wander into the woods and uh, they get lost in the woods um, because, of course, they do. There's a lot of arguing over the map. Do you want me to explain what happens to the oh, map? Oh, God. Please do, because there's a, this map goes a, has a very complicated trajectory. Yeah, this map is a character unto the story <laughs> yes. in itself. It's, it's um, the, so map the map door of the Explorer. <laughs> The map subplot, who has the map, what happened to the map, and um, the map. <laughs> would the map actually help makes up the major middle of the movie, like the first middle half of the movie. Um, and what happened to the map was Heather originally had the map, and we have a very short scene where Josh demands to see the map, so now Josh is the map. Now, after this, at some point, the map changed hands from Josh to Mike. Now, we don't know exactly how this happened, if it was voluntary or whether Mike took it himself to look at it. But what we do know is that Mike eventually got fed up with it uh, after they stayed two nights and he had to go and he had to, like, stay in the woods when he should be at work. He got <laughs> frustrated and kicked the map into the creek. Yeah, although that comes that comes later, I think. That does come later. So what happens next? Chris? Okay, so there's there's a lot of arguing over the map. Um okay. Uh there's some mysterious noises in the in the night. Oh yeah, there's mysterious noises in the night because there's somebody outside the tent that's like pressing up against the tent and then freaking them out and they're like, Oh my god, what's going what on? The, with what the, tent? the fuck is happening? Yeah, and they think they hear a baby crying. They're like, I hear a baby crying, which is weird because in the actual audio, if you listen to it, you hear a child laughing. So it's kind of like a mismatched audio thing. I'm not sure if it's meant to be intentionally it's different. It's almost as if the entirety of the dialogue was improvised based on a 35-page screenplay. Yes, <laughs> we should talk about that. So um, they, when they were looking for the actors for this movie, they highly, highly valued improvisation skills because only 35 minutes and a minute in screenplay terms is usually about a minute screen time. Uh, so like one page of a screenplay is like one minute in a movie. Right. So 30, they only had 35 
minutes of the movie that were basically understood of what would happen and kind of written out so everything else was improvised and that's where a lot of the middle section comes up in and a lot of like the conflicts happen they apparently shot 20 hours of footage that was then edited down to 82 minutes right and I'm also very curious, why did Heather and the rest of the film crew shoot so much B-roll? <laughs> like, not just of, like, things that would be important to the documentary, but of them, like, you know, just walking places. Like, even Heather does this. And Heather's the one that, her character, she is the most interested in getting this documentary done, often to the detriment of their, their well-being. So why is she wasting valuable <laughs> film stock? How much film is in that fucking camera? Like Right. <laughs> Film is very expensive. It's not like nowadays where you can just get a digital camera. And even with a digital camera, flash memory isn't going to like hold more than like five or six hours. Instead of, pa- in instead of packing food, they packed like eight different backup shutters of film. <laughs> so the characters are constantly wasting film in this very kind of strange way. Uh, and this may be because they're amateurs or don't know yeah, how to make a documentary. Yeah, I was going to say, to be fair, they are amateurs. Right, because the actual stuff that they do shoot, nobody would ever want to yeah. watch. Uh, in my opinion, it's not very good. I think good. we also, we pointed, I, I I think, and I had this in my notes earlier for the, for, for during the local section, but I feel like it applies to the whole movie. No one's hands are this unsteady. Like, no right. one is this consistently bad at holding a camera. Like... I mean, if you want to shoot uh, an action scene and the actors don't know how to do action, then you could just shake the camera around a lot. Shaky cam. Uh-huh. Should we talk about shaky cam? Uh, I don't. Cause... I don't like shaky cam. <laughs> so, okay. So the accusation of handheld camera work being called shaky cam is something that's often overused or was overused a couple of years ago. Uh, shaky cam, in my opinion, refers to something very specific and something that does occur in this movie, which is an intentional shaking of the camera to disorient the viewer. Now, sometimes it can work to a, a benefit, such as the handheld camera work, I think, in Saving Private Ryan in the opening scene. Oh. It can help disorient the audience and kind of make them feel like they're actually there or, um, and confused. Actually, another good example in a film that's mostly steady, um, the scene in Batman Begins when Batman first shows up, that's done in shaky cam because Batman is meant to be like this mysterious, like what the fuck is going on type thing. Right. Yeah. Although I, I don't like the shaky cam in Batman Begins. It's bad. It's, it's, um, well, it's a good use of shaky cam in that. I would disagree. I think it's overused in the action scenes. Although anyway. the action, I well, I haven't seen Batman Begins in a while, so I couldn't say, but the shaky cam in that one instance, I yeah. would say. Uh, I'd say that the way that it is particularly used in this movie is not necessarily bad. The shaky camera usage in this movie is meant to lend the film a certain sense of authenticity while also, you know, uh, disorienting the viewer and making several things and <laughs> threats ambiguous to the audience. Yeah, it's... Chris, it, do you think that there's an artistic merit to the shaky camera usage? To an extent. I think you're right in that, like, yeah, I'm fine with some level of shaky cam in uh, if it's used properly and i feel like this movie does have the right idea but the amount of time it shakes just at a certain point it actually does kind of take me out of it it's like no one is this bad at holding things (laughs) i mean at a certain point i'm guessing that they're panicking and that they can't actually hold on to the camera as well as they might okay well then just stick it on the ground (laughs) well that does happen a couple times okay that's fair Um, yeah 
Yeah. The characters, which are, you know, have the same name as the actors, the actors in this movie, um, the, some of the clues to how they were supposed to improvise things were actually in the film stock, like, you know, the, the little containers yeah, yeah, that yeah. held the film. So they would find these and they'd get little clues about how to act in a certain scene. It's kind of weird <laughs> and bizarre um, that you would treat a movie this yeah. way. I, it was, however, I got to give them points for ingenuity. Yeah. Uh, however, also, they did uh, make their actors not eat or drink for a while, which, which might be malpractice, bad, I think. <laughs> yeah, it might, it's, it's not very good. It's not good. It's not Ruggiero Diodato levels of immoral filmmaking production but, but it isn't exactly it's pretty, moral it's i think bad and i think that the improvisation in this film uh really takes a lot out of it if this was more heavily scripted and thought out and pre-planned i think uh the blair witch project even if it did include a bit of improvisation which you know i think mm. this sort of project would lend itself to that would have been a better approach to the movie than to have so much improvisation. It reminds me of a film by John Cassavetes, Husbands. Right. I, I've talked to you about Husbands yes. before, right? Yeah. So Last Husbands is, yeah. yes, Husbands is a two-hour improvisational comedy, <laughs> quote unquote, about three drunk husbands being misogynists and assholes, and generally being horrible people and i'm assuming and this is how most people tend to like it because it's critically claimed that they see it as a commentary on toxic masculinity i see it as just a bunch <laughs> of people being shitty and assholes and i think at a certain point when you improv so much and especially in a movie like this where some of the characters are unlikable that you just start to assume okay these people are petty assholes that are evil which leads <laughs> us into the mat pat yeah the mat pat yes so Famous. YouTube. What do you think of the Matt Pat uh, film theory that Mike and Josh are actually out to kill Heather? It makes sense until you consider the fact that they are not smart enough to pull this off in any way. I would agree with you. The big <laughs> hole in it for me is jumping forward a little bit um, when they find those little uh, twine men. You know the voodoo twine. Yeah, uh, yeah. They would have had to have made that beforehand, and I doubt that they had any sense of like workmanship or handiness that would actually be useful in a situation like that because they seem like idiots. it might have been something that they decided to do while they were on the trip they just got so petty they were like first chance we get we're gonna fucking kill her like <laughs> that is a possibility i guess that is a possibility but premeditated but... murder to the extent that that famous youtuber matthew patrick aka matt pat um I don't know about uh, go, that. Goes into, I don't know. But hey, that's just a theory. A film theory. Also because in the universe of the film, all of these people are still missing. Yeah, that's, that is so, also true. So unless they also, also what, killed themselves. You have to ask, what would also be the motive for doing it? I mean, because they hate her, I guess. Yeah, I mean, petty sadism, yeah. But if you were going to kill someone and then escape mysteriously, what you should probably do is destroy <laughs> the evidence on the camera. Instead of, you know, leaving the camera for someone to find and make a movie out of. Exactly. So I think that the James and Mike, uh, no, Mike and James. Josh. Yeah. Yeah. You're, th you're think thinking of Angry that, Video Game Nerd. I think of the Angry Video Game Nerd. I'm so sorry. I think the theory that Josh and Mike were secretly <laughs> trying to kill uh, Heather is interesting and makes the movie better if you interpret it that way, but also doesn't hold up to scrutiny. I would agree. That's a lot of Matt Pat theories, actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, so, Chris, uh, what happens next? In the okay, movie? so at a certain point, they're all just like, fuck this, let's go home, forget the documentary, been out here for days, we're not gonna find anything, we're fucking lost. To be fair, though, Heather still wants to make yeah, the documentary. He- yeah, Heather still wants to, but the guys are like, can we please just fucking turn around? This is a lost cause. And one of them's like, my girlfriend's definitely gonna notice that I've gone, and I'm like, you didn't tell her you were leaving? <laughs> <laughs> and this is uh, after we also find out that... Uh, either mike or josh uh missed work yeah they went one day over their planned schedule for filming which makes it seem like this was taking place saturday sunday monday and then tuesday yeah because this takes place over four days and they die at the end spoiler spoiler Um, so so mike is already really pissy because he missed work and his girlfriend doesn't know where he (laughs) is and he decides to kick the map into the creek and then everybody's like Mike, what the what fuck? The fuck? Why did you kick the map into the creek? That was the worst thing you could have possibly done. And Mike's just like, it wasn't helping us anyway. Dildo! <laughs> to be fair, it wasn't helping them, and I don't really know how good a map would be in a situation where you're lost in the woods. Okay, but if they, if they still had the compass, and they actually bothered to use the compass, then they could use the map to dictate their location once they found their direction on the comp. That's true. So everybody hates Mike now. For and good Mike reason. is an asshole. Fuck yeah. Mike. <laughs> fuck Mike. Hashtag and also fuck screw Mike. Josh. Hashtag yeah. fuck, the, fuck the two dudes in the Blair Witch Project. They're the worst. They are the worst. So what happens after that? Because, you know, this whole movie kind of like a lot happens, but then again, a lot doesn't happen. Yeah, I think the main middle chunk of this movie where they're just walking around the forest is very repetitive. Which and is, boring. Yeah, and, and kind of dull, which is my big mark against the movie, even though I still, you know, ultimately think it's, you know, it's, it's all right. Um, I'm more like, eh, it's okay. It's not my cup of tea. I think the parts I like are, I think, are really, really good, so I'm a bit more willing to forgive some of the parts I don't like, even though there's a lot of parts I don't like. I think um, the parts I like, I only kind of like, <laughs> and the parts I dislike, I... I'm fairly certain on why I dislike Uh So what happens yeah. next? So there's a bunch of creepy symbols. Right, there's the Twine people. Yeah, the Twine people, which is the, you know, yeah, it's the franchise logo. So there's a bunch of creepy symbols of the franchise logo. This is the point where the guys start calling Heather out on why the fuck she's still filming this. I like the part where they're like, uh, well, I don't like it, but there is a scene that is kind of funny if you aren't invested in the characters, like I wasn't, um, <laughs> where one of the guys takes the camera and it's like, Look at me, I'm making a movie. And then Heather starts crying, like, look, I'm still making a movie. Oh, I'm a filmmaker. <laughs> and then and then the other guy's like, come on, stop it, you're being mean. And then uh, they call her out again later on, and she's like, it's the only thing I have left. Yeah, to, to be fair, at that point, she's using it as a coping mechanism. Right. Which makes a little more sense. Yeah, I, I think the excuse that she would try and document uh, if they were to die makes more sense and i don't again i don't know why more found footage movies don't agree with that and do that you know maybe they just think that uh dumbass uh 20 year old amateur filmmakers wouldn't think that far ahead maybe so what happens after they find the twine people and they freak out oh so there's that bit where heather is like uh, this is america we destroyed most of our natural resources (laughs) uh so so heather has this one hilarious line that i absolutely love and when they're getting lost and they're like Heather, we're lost. She's like, no, this is America. 
nobody get lost <laughs> in America, America anymore. <laughs> and she repeats this twice, and then they actually start mocking her by singing America the Beautiful. Yes, they do. <laughs> and it, it's such a bizarre state. Oh like, my God. does she think that, like... <laughs> She's like Magellan or something that everything in the entirety of America, the United States and the continental America has been like thoroughly researched and mapped. I guess not the realize I, that people go missing all the time. Is this meant to be a critique of colonialism? Like we don't get lost. We just colonize new land. <laughs> Maybe it's trying to take inspiration from Cannibal Holocaust, which was also thematically about Western ignorance. I guess. Uh, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Or maybe it's just a dumb improv line. Yeah, that's also <laughs> possible. <laughs> uh, so there's another hilariously pretentious line when um, one of the guys gets the camera and it's like, I get why you like this, Heather. It's like filtered reality. reality. <laughs> filtered reality, so you have to deal with what's actually going on in the world. It's like, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Shut uh, up. Can you tell that the people that made this were uh, film school graduates and fairly pretentious? <laughs> what? A little pretentious. Just a you little don't... bit. Okay, to be fair, everyone's first, very first film out of film school is always going to be at least slightly pretentious. That's what film school does to people. <laughs> It was that way with Darren Aronofsky, and it, that way with every single one of the new school that came out of, like, Martin Scorsese and, like, uh, George Lucas. All of them had, yeah. like, a first film that was very pretentious. Yeah, like, I would, yeah, Reservoir Dogs is like that, even though I, I still think Reservoir Dogs is good. You know, it's a little, hey, can you tell I went to film school? I went to film school. I went to college! <laughs> Have you ever seen that one Twitter <laughs> video where uh, it's, like, an older person who's like, I went to NYU you film school and then they look at their phone <laughs> that's a good one i like that so anyways so um so they've somehow not run out of and they've been walking in circles apparently so they, they, they do they start food. to run out of food because they start well eating they start to run out leaves. of food eventually and the and they eventually start eating leaves but that comes later so apparently they've been walking in circles for a decent chunk of time it's supernatural circles supernatural yeah. circles because supernatural they, they... circles they, they went to this log before, and there are many shots of them walking across this log, which, again, why would you not just pack up the film equipment and just walk across the log yourself? <laughs> but it's important that they set up the log, because later we return to the log. These are the people who think that it's a massive plot hole whenever we don't see characters walk to a store or go to an airport and buy tickets for the airplane. And so that is the, that is why they film all the people. <laughs> I don't think that's I don't I don't think that is intended for this crap. That is I my think... that is my headcanon. <laughs> okay, so obviously we need to introduce the log because later on they come back to the log and they feel like, "Oh my god, we've been walking in circles." And then yeah. everybody freaks out again and uh then it's the night and Josh goes missing. This is when yeah. Josh goes missing. And they wake up the next morning they're like, "Where's Josh? Where's Josh?" Uh, so they go out and they start trying to look for Josh and they can't find him anywhere. Eventually they come across like bloody clothes, the tooth in it, which by the way, they got that tooth from a local dentist. <laughs> Fun facts. Yeah. Chris, do you find the forest in this scary? I mean, I mean, at night it's kind of scary because you know, it's a, it's a dark, it's, you know, it's a, it's a forest at night. It's the middle of the woods and it's all dark out. You know, that's pretty creepy, but the forest during the daytime, it's just kind of just Maryland. Yeah. Like, <laughs> We both went to school in Maryland, so it's just Maryland to us. Yeah, we just, you know, I've, I've seen basically that forest, you know, walking to one side of campus. Yeah, it's not, it's not that big a deal. Yeah, 
I mean, your your forest ain't scary. Maybe if you've never been to Maryland, it's scary. I don't know. I feel like Maryland is the creepiest of the Northeast states. Yeah, because there's some weird shit going down in some, especially some Maryland small towns. Because we had a friend whose small town. What was the? It was, was Hagerstown. Hagerstown. Thank you. Hagerstown. Don't go to Hagerstown. Hagerstown is basically like. Gravity Falls, but in real life, and way more explicitly racist. Like, that and, is what Hagerstown... And more violent. And more violent. So don't go to Hagerstown. Don't anyway. go to Hagerstown. It's very dangerous. Eventually, uh, they continue through the woods, and they're still looking around, and they're starting to freak out, and that's they when start they eating, start eating leaves. They start eating leaves. Which, by the way, it's only it's only Mike that eats the leaf. Yeah. He eats a dry leaf, and then Heather's like... Are you eating a dry leaf? And I that's guess the whole they. Scene. I guess they ran out of marshmallows. I guess they did run out of marshmallows. How are they? How how have they not sugar crashed if all they've been eating has been marshmallows? Maybe that's the reason for their erratic mood swings throughout the movie. They're on a sugar rush. <laughs> yeah, they're just constantly crashing from the marshmallows. Oh my god, it makes too much sense. And that's why Josh went out to the woods because he got diarrhea from eating he all the marshmallows. He got diarrhea. He had to take. He had to take a massive shit. All <laughs> the marshmallows. And then he got lost. This makes too much sense. So eventually, they come across this old historic house. Did I miss anything in between here? Well, because well, first uh, the, that famous shot from the poster happens. Oh right, right. There's the scene where Heather is talking and she's saying, "I'm so sorry to the friends and family of the people." here if they die you know and this was my idea it's a really fucking good speech like it's a it's some good ass acting there yeah lots of snot lots of liquids coming lots, from the face lots of liquids lots of lots of intense emotions very good much wow um wow. seriously though it's actually really good yes and then after that they go to the historic house which is actually like a, a real thing that was built like 200 years ago yes uh mike hears josh screaming so they enter the house and then they go up to the top and uh, there, they're like, no, wait, he's downstairs. So then they go to the basement. And this is when yeah. Mike uh, gets attacked and falls over and his camera stops. And yeah. then Heather falls down screaming, although she hasn't seen anything yet. And uh, yeah. she goes down and she then gets attacked. And she sees Mike standing in the corner because previously they established that the Blair Witch only attacks and kills people. And when they do that, they have to stand in the corner and wait in line. Yeah. It's all connected. It's all and connected. Then, then uh, Heather's camera flops over, and then the film sputters and continues on and on, and then that's how the movie ends. Yeah. I, that ending where they're just in the house, and that final shot of just the camera falling down on its side, that is very ominous and, like, does stick with you. Say whatever else you want about the rest of the movie. Um, eh. I thought eh. it was... I think it's actually a really good ending. Like It's a decent ending. It just doesn't make up for how boring the rest of the movie is. Yeah, was. to be fair, that is the problem. I think, again, the very beginning and the very end of this movie, I think, are very good. It's, it's almost like they only had 35 minutes of good Yeah, material. the 35 minutes that they actually planned ahead for is pretty damn good. It's the yeah. rest of the movie that's the problem. Uh, do you have anything else you'd like to say on the Blair Witch Project? Besides um, the fact that we may eventually have to suffer through the sequels? Oh, well, yeah. Man, I'm so excited for Book of Shadows and Blair Witch 2. <laughs> yes. Oh, boy. Um, I think, again, it's a fine movie. I don't really like a lot of the middle section, and I don't really like most of the characters most of the time. But it was certainly very innovative for mm -hmm. its day. And, you know, I give a lot of credit to the concept and also to the very beginning and the very end, I think are 
very good. It's it's that middle chunk that needed a lot of work, I, I think. I would basically agree with you, although I think the beginning and ending aren't as good as you're saying they are. <laughs> I think they're decent, but I find a lot of the middle section extremely tedious. I was actually watching this, and my dad was in there sometimes also, and he would just be, like, falling asleep. He'd be like, oh my god, how long has passed? And I was like, it's been five minutes. And he'd be like, oh my goodness. Yeah, that's fair. It's it, fair. This film does not feel 82 minutes long. It feels much longer because it's so damn repetitive. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of... People arguing, people arguing, people, people yelling arguing. at each other, walking through the forest. It's 60% people walking through the forest, 20% people arguing, and then 10% plot. You missed another 10%. That's only uh, 80. Oh, You've and then the other 90. 10% is uh, Mike and Josh <laughs> being an asshole. <laughs> there you go. That's fair. That's um. the statistical breakdown of this movie. So I think the next movie we're going to be talking about is, of course, Child's Play. Yes, Child's Play. The original Child's Play from 1988. I think we should take a little interlude here and oh, uh, right, talk that. about our sponsor. Today's okay. episode is sponsored by the PsyCore. The PsyCore will take all of your psychic mm -hmm. children. We help provide for all parts of their lives. Don't worry about <laughs> our support for the evil <laughs> shadow government around you. Don't worry about that. President Clark is a good president of Earth Alliance and will definitely not destroy you and your family. Remember, there are no shadow aliens here to take over the galaxy in a weird Darwinian plot against the universe. Thank you, and have a good day. Core is mother, the core is father. All right, I think we're ready to talk about Child's Play. Let's talk about Child's Play, yes. Um, so first of all, I think we should mention that this movie was directed by Spider-Man. <laughs> it was directed by Tom Holland. Tom directed... Holland! There's Tom Holland! Outlined in shiny metallic lettering! It's bigger than Stephen King's name! He directed Fright Night yeah. and The Tommy Knockers, both decent movies. Yeah. Uh, he also directed Child's Play. And yeah. he is actually the actor Tom Holland who plays <laughs> yeah. Spider-Man. Yes, the actor Tom Holland who played Spider-Man went back in time to before he was born specifically to direct three uh, cult horror movies and do nothing else. Yes. <laughs> he invented time... Yeah, I can't believe Tom Holland invented time travel and didn't tell anyone else. Man, what a scrub. Rassilon stole time travel from him. Rassilon That's a little joke for all you Whovians out there. Rassilon stole time travel from Spider-Man. What kind of crossover fanfiction is this? So Chucky slash Charles Lee Ray mm. is, of course, played amazingly by Brad Dourif, who also plays the villain in The Exorcist 3, amazingly, and the BAFTA award-winning <laughs> performance of Billy Pivot in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest with Jack Nicholson. The movie starts with Brad Dourif running from the cops with his partner in crime, Eddie Caputo. Now, Brad Dourif is playing Charles Lee Ray, of course, and Charles Lee Ray is a serial killer. And uh, he, Eddie Caputo, splits ways with him, and he's very pissed off about this. So the cop that's chasing him is, of course, uh, the detective Norris, and he chases him into a toy store after shooting him, at which yeah. point he finds a good guy doll and realizes that he's dying, so he implants his soul through voodoo magic into the doll and threatens vows vengeance on Eddie Caputo and Detective Norris. Yes, that does happen. Yes, that is the beginning of the movie. Chris, yeah. what happens next after so, that? So then we cut to, I guess, our main character, Andy, being a very terrible cook. <laughs> oh, I forgot to mention Dumbala. Dumbala. Yes. So the the in the incantations in this are actually just like a Haitian Creole or French. 
Yeah, it's a Haitian um, voodoo spell. So in in the subtitles of my DVD for the first <laughs> film, they say speaks in ancient language, but then in the sequels, they just say speaks in French. Speaks in French. I like that demystification as it goes on. The ancient language of French. You don't trust those goddamn French. <laughs> Freedom fries. So a lightning bolt strikes when the incantation puts his soul into the doll, and the store yeah. fucking explodes. Yeah, the store the fucking explodes. explodes. And then we cut to Andy. Andy, who is cooking his mother breakfast. And he's and he's a pretty bad cook, but he's also six years old. So He, like, pours in so much cereal and so much milk. milk. It's, like, overflowing. It's overflowing. He burns the toast. He gets a giant glob of butter and yeah. sticks it on it. Which, by the way, I love the I love the comedic moment when she holds up the burnt toast and then the glob of butter just sticks there for a second <laughs> and then falls. And she's like, oh, this is, this is great. You know, I'm going to eat this later. Yeah, I also like how, so as he's cooking, we see a good guy cartoon on the TV. And they put so much effort into this thing that is on screen for all of like five seconds. Because the animation is actually really good. And the art style, it's like, it genuinely looks like something that could have been on TV in the 80s. Like, Heidi ho! Oh, Heidi ho! Like, holy fucking shit. Like, yeah, well, it's because in the 1980s, there was this whole deregulation of the children television market, which led to children's animation becoming primarily just ways to sell toys to children. Uh-huh. G.I. Joe. Yeah, G.I. Joe, Transformers, Thundercats. TMNT. And TMNT. Thundercats Roar is good, actually. My animation hot take. But we'll get to that song. That's neither here nor there. Um. Andy sees the TV, and of course, he wants a good guy doll of his own. And they're like these mechanical dolls that, like, uh, if you talk to them, they'll talk back. They're kind of like uh, Cabbage Patch Kids. They're like if Cabbage Patch Kids talked. Yeah, basically. Didn't Cabbage Patch Kids talk at some point? Probably. I don't know. Hold I on, I'm gonna look it up. That. So he also puts in, like, a bunch of sugar into the cereal, and when he's walking to his mother's room, like, there's milk spilling over the side, and he's just making such a mess. Uh, the mom gets out his clothes, because, of course, it's his birthday, and he makes his mom breakfast on his birthday. What a great kid. Yes. Uh, yes. yeah, I found a result for Talking Cabbage Patch Kids on Amazon. Um... Anyways, that doesn't matter. <laughs> I do- it doesn't I'm matter, Chris. It doesn't matter. Because <laughs> you... Oh, yep, yep, the Cabbage Patch Kids talking dolls. Okay, so it was a thing. In it the, doesn't in, matter. In the 80s. I just wanted to know for sure. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, the mom uh, got him a gift, of course, but he's distraught. Oh, this is clothes. So then she's like, you want toys, don't you? You're not these boring old clothes. And, you know, yeah, that's a fair Fuck reaction. Clothes. Yeah. Um. So she gets him this uh good guy toolkit, and he's like, "I want the good guy doll to go with it." And he's like, and she's like, uh, "I'm sorry, I didn't know about it in time to save up for it, because you know we're poor." <laughs> yeah. So we have some single mother representation here. Yeah, um, boy. It's kind of implied that the father died, and she has this really shitty job that we'll get into. Yes. So mm-hmm. she works at this uh like department store, jewelry store, something like that. Her manager is an asshole. Yeah, um, with her friend Maggie. Yeah, her friend Maggie, who's really cool. Uh, Andy refers to her as Aunt Maggie because she looks after him a lot during the day uh, yes. when they need to cover shifts for each other, which is a very, uh, it's a very common thing to happen. Yeah. Uh, Maggie tells, her name is Karen, Karen Barkley, but she's not a Karen. She's just Karen Barkley. Uh, she tells her that there's a peddler in a back alley <laughs> yeah. that has one of the good guy dolls for sale. Because when I think of the best place to buy all the latest toys, I think of a shady back alley with some dude who's probably a pedophile. <laughs> yes, obviously that's the best. Well, of course, later he attempts to assault her, so he yeah. is an attempted rapist. Yeah. 
So he's a bad dude. <laughs> he's a bad dude. Uh, and so they go into the alley and they bargain for this toy. And he's like, $50. And then Maggie's like, that's too much money. But then eventually Karen's like, okay, that's fine. I'll do $50 because my kid really wants it. You it's know? his birthday. <laughs> it's his birthday. And then there's a funny moment where um, Aunt Maggie looks back. And she's like, I think I dated him, which raises yeah. so many questions. <laughs> like, where did these two meet? Was 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 Maggie also a back alley alley peddler at some point in her old life? Has is there some elaborate backstory that we don't know about? It's like uh, <laughs> maybe Aunt Maggie was just like really into you know the El Drugos as a as a youngin, and came across <laughs> some shady people. Now maybe I'm just ima- uh, no. Now I'm imagining there's like an academy for back alley peddlers where the school uniform is just a trench coat. And Maggie yes. went to that school at some point. <laughs> State of Florida has asked us to disclose our sexual crimes to you. We were bad, but now we're good. We're moving into your neighborhood. So they go back to their department store, and Manju is pissed off at them because they took. Like, uh, why did too you much... take off work? <laughs> very important. Very important that you st- it's stay very on. Important that you be here. Do you yeah. value your job? <laughs> it's it was a missed opportunity not to kill that guy because usually in a slasher movie you introduce horrible assholes solely for them to be killed. I honestly hope they bring him back in that new TV show they're doing just so they can kill him. The manager tells Karen that she's gonna have to take a second shift even though it's her son's birthday. And it's, Oof. It's like and and she also has to pick up her son from daycare. And right. It's like, you could leave at five, but you have to be back at seven. Um, it's so fucking stupid. Yeah. So she's able to go home in time long enough to give him the doll. And then later, uh, Aunt Maggie uh, comes over to uh, to supervise him. And yes. there's a funny line where Aunt Maggie's like, oh, it'll be the hottest date I've had in months. <laughs> I love Aunt Maggie. I wish she survived longer. Yeah, Aunt Maggie's a cool character. They should have. They should have resurrected her. <laughs> resurrect Aunt Maggie. Hashtag. hashtag resurrect Aunt Maggie in the Chucky TV show. <laughs> Maggie tells Andy that it's time for bed. And then we get like one of the very first creepy scenes where uh, Chucky. Then we get a scene where Andy tells Maggie that Chucky told him that he wants to watch the 9 o'clock news because that's uh, about Charles Lee Ray. And what happens next, Chris? So 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 Andy gets tucked into bed. And so, Karen, so Maggie goes back out to the to the living room. And she sees the Chucky doll there watching the news. And she's like, Andy, I told you to bring the doll with you. It's like, I didn't move him. Chucky wants to watch the news. So that's creepy by (laughs) itself. Yeah, uh, of course, Andy denies it. And then uh, he's like, I told you she'd be mad if you watched the news. And Maggie tries to convince herself that she just has the alone at night willies. Yes. Uh, Chucky runs around in the background. And then um, Chucky kills Aunt Maggie with a hammer from the good guy toolkit. It's a payoff. Yeah, and then then Maggie falls out the window and lands on a car. And then she dies, obviously. Yeah, it's real. It's fucking brutal. It, it is a brutal death. Oh, by the way, before this happened, of course, uh, some sugar was spilled over. So now there's like shoe prints that are small of Chucky, uh, of him committing the murder, which becomes a plot point. Yeah. So uh, Karen comes home and sees the cops outside the building and is super scared, as any mother would be, that something happened to their kid. So she runs up the apartment and sees Andy and finds Andy is okay, although he's being interviewed by the cops. And when she asks what happened to Aunt Maggie, he's like, she had an accident. accident. (laughs) 
So, by the way, I'd like to point out the cop here, uh, who is Detective Norris from the beginning of the movie, is played by Prince Humperdinck from The Princess Bride. Yes. Yes, he is. But I've got my country's 500th anniversary to plan, my wedding to arrange, my wife to murder, and Gilda to frame for it. I'm swamped. So what happens next after this? Okay. So there's a bit of ambiguity in this early section of the movie about whether or not it's actually Chucky or if it's just, like, Andy having a mental breakdown or some shit. Because Andy is wearing good guy, good guy's PJ sneakers that look just like the prince and the shoes that Chucky wears. Yeah. And since they're both small, their feet are approximately the same yeah, size. And the cops are like, hmm. <laughs> and, but Karen is just like, please, I just want to spend some time with my son. He's clearly upset. Can you please My leave? best friend just My died. My best friend just died. My son is... I'm upset. My son is upset. Can we just have some time alone, please? So as the detectives are leaving, Andy finds sugar on the bottom of Chucky's feet and runs in to tell them that Chucky did it. And of course, nobody believes them. And uh, Karen is like, you're making up stories. Now go back to bed, you know? Yeah. I so, And I feel like that's one of the things I really appreciate about this movie is that it plays into the fear of not being believed. Like, Yeah, I think that is a really strong fear. Although I think narratively speaking it does get kind of annoying at some points where people just keep not believing someone okay although to be fair it's not like that's unrealistic because as we've seen in the real world there can be piles and piles of insurmountable evidence that someone did something very bad uh usually to a woman and they'll be like that didn't happen so uh, the cop found the hammer, which was the good guy hammer, which was the murder weapon. Detective Norris found it. And then he shows it to his partner, Mike. Mike comes up later, way later in the movie. Yeah. Um, and Mike is incredulous and like, that's not the murder <laughs> weapon. And then he's like, mm, it's the murder it's weapon. It's the murder and then they weapon. they go down the elevator. Um, so the mom hears Andy talking to Chucky. And uh, Andy tells his mom that Chucky is Charles Lee Ray and that Maggie is, quote, a real bitch. <laughs> he also says and that... Uh, she deserved it. He, uh, he also says that uh, Chucky was sent down from heaven by daddy to play with me. <laughs> Which is horribly creepy. Yeah. Just awfully, awfully creepy yeah. thing for anyone to say ever. <laughs> After this, they're trying to get things back to normal. So Andy goes to school and she's even like, are you up for going to school tomorrow? And he's like, yeah, I'm up for it. I, I'm okay. But of course... Chucky's been talking to him. (laughs) (laughs) I've been traumatized. But uh, Chucky's been talking to him in the night and tells him that he wants to go to this specific house because, remember, Charles Lee Ray still needs to take vengeance on his uh, partner in crime, Eddie Caputo, Caputo. from the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. The kid takes public transit, which is... A six-year-old is on public transport by himself. My God. Oh, any any mother's worst nightmare. Any basically. any good parent's worst nightmare, honestly. Um. Uh, so Andy brings Chucky to Eddie's house and puts him on like these rocking chair that's outside, and then he goes off to go to the bathroom, and then immediately Chucky isn't there anymore. Yeah. And we get scenes from Eddie Caputo's perspective inside the house, and he hears all these rustling noises and things going on, and we of course know that Chucky is inside. I think at this point we're assuming that you know the doll is real. I think. Um, or you yeah. could interpret this maybe as, you know, him going to the bathroom was more like lost time and like some sort of delusion where he then exploded yeah, the building. Yeah, it's, it, again, it's, it, these early sections leave it deliberately ambiguous. Yeah. Right, but spoiler alert, um, <laughs> Chucky turns on the gas hose and, and then, then the explodes house explodes. the building. <laughs> yeah. 
It's amazing. Yeah, there's a lot um, of big explosions in this movie. The the budget was pretty small for what they were able to accomplish. Yeah, uh, uh, th- nine million dollars. Yeah, which in right. in 1988 was still relatively small. Yeah, so um, when they do the Chucky scene specifically, like when they're moving about the house and stuff, there's usually two different things. There's usually uh, an animatronic puppet. Right. Or there is a little person actor that is in a forced perspective set. Oh. So whenever you see like a shadow or like him coming through the window, that's usually a little person. But when it's like a shot of him moving uh, generally, that's usually an animatronic puppet. Oh, I see. You see, there's a lot of ingenuity to this. Yeah, very. And how they got it done. Very cool. Very cool. So Eddie dies. Yeah, of Eddie. Course, Eddie dies. So they. So Karen Barkley shows up at the police station because the cops found him at the destroyed house of Eddie Caputo, <laughs> and there's a child psychologist there that's been grilling him. Um, and then what happens? So, th- so then they're like, okay, or, all right, Karen, your kid is probably crazy, but like, <laughs> so we're gonna have to take him to a mental institution. <laughs> and then, but then no. they're like, all right, Andy. If you can admit that the doll isn't real, you can go home. And he's like, no, he is real. Say something. Come on, Chucky, say something. And then he just starts shaking him. And this is where I, th- I think uh, th- this kid is a really good child actor. <laughs> he is, yeah. yeah. He definitely brings it in certain scenes. This scene particularly, you can really feel the betrayal in how he's saying these lines. You know, like, because when you're that young of a yeah. kid, like... You just expect that the people around you are doing things in your best interest. Yeah. And it's not always true. You know? Yeah, and if you so don't have he... that expectation, you had a really, really, really terrible childhood. Like Exactly. Yeah. So when he feels this betrayal from his toy, which of course, you know, is mostly just uh even in like marketing it's something that like children are supposed to hold like emotionally close to them. And I think that gets into a sub theme, which is sort of the pernicious, uh, sort of marketing and capitalism of childhood, I think, Mm. but that gets, uh, developed more in the second film, um, which I really love. Uh, basically the good guy doll is this a very expensive commodity we know it's been sold out and we know that andy will not be happy with his birthday (laughs) unless his mother who is poor and cannot afford a lot of things (laughs) gets it for him and if that doesn't speak to the way that you know childhood has been commodified in the american economy (laughs) especially in the 1980s i don't know what else does tickle me elmo craze that's (laughs) yes That's my little hot take opinion piece on the deeper Remember meaning of child's play. Remember in 1995 when they didn't make enough Buzz Lightyear dolls to meet demand? That was a thing that happened. <laughs> Andy stays overnight with the police and the child psychologist, and Karen Barkley goes home with Chucky. And uh, why don't you talk about this scene? Because I know you love this scene. This is might be the scariest scene in the movie. Okay, so so that so they go back home, and Karen's just like, because she 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 starts telling it's like, why aren't you saying anything? And she's, she gets herself like, I'm talking to a doll. I'm crazy. And so she goes over to the <sighs> box because st- the box is still there. And the batteries fall out of the box. And she's like, what the hell is happening? So she goes back to the doll. She opens the battery no pack. Battery. There's no batteries in the battery pack. She's obviously terrified. And then her head, and then Chucky's head rotates 
all the way around, and you just hear him go, Hi, I'm Chucky. Wanna play? And it's the most terrifying <laughs> thing I have ever seen in my life. Holy fucking shit. <laughs> <laughs> Chucky, wanna play? <laughs> so Miss Sparkly then uh, gets Chucky and threatens to throw Chucky into the fire. If he and that's speak when to Brad him. Durf takes that's over. When, yeah. Right, that's when the voice of Brad Durf starts taking uh, the Chucky voice. So before this, it's been very creepy. Sort yeah, of it's a toy, toy voice. voice. What's, what, what do you think? Do you think this gets less scary once Brad Durf does his performance? Honestly, like a little bit. Because before, like, in these early parts, something I like about these early scenes is that it, the, the scares are, they're actually kind of, you know, shockingly subtle. Like, there's more of, it's about, it's more unsettling. And, like, the, the ambiguity of it, I think, is very interesting. And, as I said, just <laughs> the doll talking is really, really creepy. <laughs> like, so even as, for as great as Brad Durst's performance is, and I will give him a lot of credit, in that he is fantastic in this role. I find him a little bit scarier when he's just a doll. I can definitely see that. Um, however, I do think it does make sense for Brad Dirk to take over, not only because he's, one, a, a magnificent actor, but uh, two, because this is the point where the plot shifts its fear focus from is it alive to it's alive and trying to yeah, kill my child. Yeah, and that's fair. It makes sense for this point in the story. Yeah. Uh, I am a big Brad Durf <laughs> stan, so I would never say that the Chucky doll was scarier without Brad Durf. However, I would say it's, yeah, creepier, it's creepier without it's, Brad Durf. Yeah, it's definitely a lot creepier. I, I think, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I, I guess that just sort of speaks to more what scares me. Like... An Oogity Booga, right. an Ooga Booga monster does not scare me as much as like, like creepy dolls, like trying to like staring at you and acting all innocent when they could like, but but when really you know they're gonna kill you, that strikes me as more right. scary. So Chucky uh, runs out of the room and takes the elevator down, yeah. and Karen tries to chase after her, but she's too late. So she goes to Detective Norris and tells her that tells him that the doll is alive. Yes. And Detective Norris, of course, doesn't believe her, but then tells her, you know, Charles Lee Ray was a real guy and a serial killer, and he did go by the name Chucky, and, uh, yeah, maybe he might have known this other guy who was a voodoo witch doctor named John. Yeah. Well, so they go back to the peddler, and, uh, Detective Norris punches him in the face. It's very good. Yes. Um... Because uh, she goes back to the peddler, and the peddler attempts to rape Miss Barkley, and then Detective Norris intervenes because he followed her. Um, and Norris tells that this is actually when Detective Norris tells Barkley about how Charles Lee Ray died at the toy right. store. And uh, Norris drives her home, and Barkley is like, I want to know where you lived. And he's like, I can't tell you that. So she finds it out on her own. And then okay, what happens? So then, so then Norris finds out the hard way about Chucky being real because Chucky goes after Norris. <laughs> he burns Chucky with a cigarette yeah. lighter, first off, you know, like one of those car lighter yes. things. Yes, and that's hilarious. <laughs> and so, and there's this whole epic like car chase. It's not really a chase because there's no there's thing, nothing. There's nothing chasing, chasing them, but I the guess car. Th 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 like car action, I guess. <laughs> yeah, there's a great car action scene because Chucky's in the backseat trying to strangle Detective Norris and keeps putting his tiny foot on the accelerator until the entire thing flips over onto its onto its front. You know, like uh, so it's now completely upside down. 
and Chucky believing himself to be immortal is scraping across the car and doing all sorts of sociopathic shit to fuck with him and uh, until he finally comes across the window and gets shot and this is the point where he realizes oh shit I feel pain and I bleed which leads him of course to then going to the witch doctor John yeah so he goes to Mm -hmm. the witch doctor and he's like uh you told me this spell would make me immortal what the fuck why am I bleeding uh, you got to, you got to, you got to answer some questions here, dude. And then John the Witch Doctor is like, I would tell you, but you're, you're an, an abomination, abomination against, against nature, so fuck oh. you. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Chucky pulls out a voodoo doll and's like, Well, I'm gonna break your legs if you don't tell me, and I'm also gonna kill you if you don't tell me. So he's like, Okay, you have to take your soul and put it into the first person you revealed your true identity to, which of course was Andy. Yes. Yes. And then uh, Chucky has the horribly creepy I have a date line with of, a I have a date with boy. a six-year-old boy. <laughs> I literally wrote in my notes on that line just, oh, dear. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, oh, no. Oh, no. What happens oh, next after this? Okay. So, yeah. So, he has to go and switch bodies with Andy. Um, and Andy is still in the mental institution at this point because they still think he's crazy. Yeah. And he's like, Chucky's here. He's, he's going to kill. kill. Help me. Help me, please, for the love. <laughs> and of course, nobody, of course, nobody believes, believes him. him. Um, and and then, so Chucky finds him and starts, like, going after him. And he's, he's, he runs away. Right, Andy yeah. escapes. And the psychologist takes the knife away from Andy and is like, why do you have this knife? And he's like, Chucky's going to kill me. So then uh, Chucky <laughs> attacks the psychologist with a knife and then puts on the electroshock thing on his head and then fries his head yes. to death. What do you think of that kill, Holy Chris? Holy shit. <laughs> There's a lot of good kills in this movie. <laughs> yeah, There is. Uh, the Child's Play franchise, I think, is actually one of the most quality, like, consistently franchises. Seems that way. Mostly because it doesn't take itself that seriously, and it's a lot well, of fun. Well, once it, like, they, they take themselves seriously at first, and then at a certain point, they're like, we can't really continue being this good if we're going to keep taking ourselves seriously, so let's just have fun with it. Right. Yeah. So Andy goes home to be safe because, of course, his mother, being a good mother, always told him that if he was ever in danger, he should go straight home. Andy barricades the door like it's a night of the living dead. And I love the part where he puts the sled on top of the... Because he got, like, this bench. He put the bench in front of the door. And he gets this tiny sled and he puts it on top of the bench as if that would help. And that's, <laughs> I that's mean, just six. adorable. Yeah, he's, he's six. He would think that would help. Exactly. And, and I also oh. like the part where... Um, Chucky is in the elevator again, and oh, yeah, some old bit. people are there, and then they're like, ugly doll, and then as he's going like, up, fuck you. he's just like, fuck you, <laughs> bringing out his inner Chicagoan. Yeah, because this, this movie takes place in Chicago, by the way. Yeah. Yes, it does. Yeah. So Chucky, I've been to Chicago, actually. Um, yes, you have, because you uh, saw Hamilton there. Yes, I did. Um, I didn't go in the winter, obviously, when this movie takes place, uh, but uh, Is yeah. Child's Play a Christmas film? No, it's a birthday film. Okay, it is a birthday movie. You're it's right. It's a birthday I'm so sorry. movie. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's a birthday movie. Yeah. So Chucky comes through the fireplace and knocks out Andy and tries to put his soul into him saying, Dumbala, Dumbala. Dumbala. Which is uh, that specific incantation you're going to hear a lot if we get into the sequels because he says it a, a, a shit ton. So Karen and Norris come in and throw Chucky off. Because uh, at this point, they both have met up, and they both know that, you know, Chucky is a living doll, and this shit's fucked up. And yeah, they're trying it's to very fucked up. And uh, they throw Chucky off of Andy, and Chucky stabs Norris in the foot. 
Uh, what happens after this? Yeah, so the, the this whole, like, final fight with Chucky is fucking intense. It's so good. Um, yeah, so there, the, a whole bunch of stuff happens. You know, the stabbing, and the, he gets thrown around a lot. And Chucky knocks out, knocks out Norris. Yeah, Chucky like, knocks out Norris. Eventually, gets shot by Karen. Yeah, he gets shot by Karen. Karen gets a gun. So Karen throws Chucky in the fireplace and asks Andy for help with the matches. And he says, and Chucky says, but Andy, we're supposed to be friends to the end. We're friends till the end, remember? And then Andy has one of the most badass lines of all time. This is the end, friend. Friend. (laughs) We're friends to the end, remember? This is the end, friend. It's so good. It's up there with Leprechaun's line of Fuck you, Fuck you Lucky, Lucky Charms. Charms. <laughs> Fuck you, Lucky Charms. Just amazing. So it's so good. Drops it's the so match. Because uh, they put a lot of lighter fluid in there. Yeah, and, so Chucky uh, gets burned alive. Chucky um, gets burned alive. And I think at this point, and at this point, Mike, Norris's partner, shows up. Yeah. So Andy goes to get the first aid kit under the sink because one of the people has been injured and he realizes that Chucky isn't where he was burning before, you know? Yeah. Because so, he had gotten out and tried to like run around and yeah, they shot so him a bunch surprise, of Surprise, Chucky's not dead and his Chucky's burned corpse starts walking around like, give me the boy. Um, that, the burned version of Chucky is way scarier to me than the regular version of Chucky. That I will I will agree. The bur- The look of burn chucky is terrifying um, it's absolutely nightmare fuel yeah 100 percent. So karen shoots chucky's head off and he keeps walking and then he shoots off <laughs> she shoots off his arm and his foot uh and she still keeps crawling and then mike shows up and calls the cops because yeah. <laughs> he's seeing all this now for the first time he's like what the fuck he's seeing all this shit and he's like oh my god <laughs> Oh, no, no, wait. At first, he doesn't believe them. Cause at, at first, he first... doesn't believe them, and then he sees the burned corpse walking around. <laughs> no, 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 no. He, he he doesn't believe them at first, and then and then the arm comes through the vent oh, yeah, and starts the attacking arm comes his face. Through, yeah, the arm comes through the vent, right. and then he's like, oh, shit! He's like, <laughs> oh, shit. And then they're like, shoot him in the heart! So uh, Karen points again and shoots him in the heart. Chucky finally dies. Yeah, he finally or does fucking he? dies. <laughs> yeah, and I, I literally wrote in my notes, and now he's totally dead. And won't ever come back in any sequels. <laughs> Definitely. And getting into that theme of belief and having people not believe you, Mike has the most important ending line of the film. Where when uh, Norris turns to him and says, Now do you believe me? Mike says, Yeah. But who's going to believe me? And that's like, Damn. ooh, shit. And also it establishes the ongoing thing in the rest of the franchise of like, you know... Not to like, give you spoilers, but these people don't really have a happy ever after because nobody believes them. There's some T2 shit that goes on in this franchise. Oh, oh boy. Andy looks back and closes the door and there's this really creepy freeze frame where he's the door isn't quite closed. And yeah. that's sort of, it's quite literally not giving us a conclusion. It's not it's literally giving us closure. leaving the door open. Uh, yes for 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 potential sequels eh? literally figuratively and metaphorically it is not giving the audience closure yes so chris what did you think of child's play 
I was surprised at how much I really enjoyed this movie because I because after the years of the meta commentaries and the parodies and Chucky being at WWE for some reason that was WCW um, oh WCW I'm sorry um I don't know wrestling um but yeah Chucky was at WCW um I was not expecting to find him this fucking scary and I legitimately did I think it's a legit great movie I yeah. feel like it might be kind of underrated in terms of... Because I feel like people kind of toss this one to the side in terms of, like, you know, the slasher, you know, 80s. It's, you know, you, you know, your nightmares, your Friday the 13th, your Halloweens, et cetera, et cetera. I feel like people tend to discredit this one because, oh, it's, it's a killer doll. It's so dumb. But it's, like, it's legit really scary. And a, and it's very suspenseful. And the characters are really well done. And there's, and there's great effects. And as a kid, cause I grew up yeah. with all these horror films and I grew up, uh, getting into a lot of classics as a kid, child's play was kind of, it was good to me. Um, but I didn't enjoy it as much cause it didn't personally scare me. But now that I'm older, I find, uh, a lot of the fear aspect, especially from the mother's perspective, more scary. Uh, and I also enjoy and appreciate the creativity and the workmanship that went into making this movie. Um, I think I respect it and appreciate it a lot more than I did when I was younger. I think it's a movie that actually gets better as you as it aged. You know, I think it's aged very well. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. Even as someone who like this was my first time watching the movie, I think this has aged remarkably well for something that came out in 1988. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's definitely aged better than the Friday the Thirteenth movies. I think. Which I'm not a huge fan of. What about Jason Takes Manhattan? <laughs> no. <laughs> so I think that is the end of our discussion of Child's Play. So, Chris, Child's Play or The Blair Witch Project? Child's Play. And I feel yes, like Child's to Play. some people that would be heresy. But, like, that's my, that's my take. Child's Play is just such a better movie. Yeah. Well, some people are wrong. Yeah, some people are wrong. That's right. This podcast is the objective opinions. This is the objective facts. <laughs> Data never lies. <laughs> All right. So what we do at the end of every roulette episode is we, of course, choose the uh, next movies that are going to show up on here. Now that what we do, of course, is we get a random number and that will give us one through 100 and that'll help us choose the next movie. All now, right, then. Chris will have a choice between uh, this movie or if he vetoes that in another movie. And we will end up with two movies overall. Those are the rules. Unless it's it's over over three hours, in which case we only have to do the one. Right. And if it lands on a sequel, prequel, or remake, we have to watch it. That is correct. Yes. All right. The number is number 76, Lord of Illusions. The only Clive Barker film me and you haven't seen yet. Uh, what's what's Lord Lord of Illusions about? It's about um, an evil magician that uh, kills a bunch of people, and also it has Scott Bakula from Quantum Leap and Star Trek Enterprise. In it. Oh my god! Yeah. All right. Uh, you know, given uh, some of the other options, I'd th- I'd say we keep that one. Um, okay, we're gonna keep Lord of Illusions. Is that your final answer? Yes. All right. So let's generate another number. All right, that's eighty-three. Number 83 is American Psycho with Christian Bale. Oh, that's actually supposed to be really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, we got a good one. (laughs) So the two that we're going to do today or in, you know, two weeks or three weeks or whenever. Yeah, in about about, two-ish weeks. If you haven't tell, if you you can't tell yet, 
schedule's a loose thing. Schedule's been a bit wonky. We're getting things back on track, seemingly. Right. Um, We're going but... to watch Lord of Illusions, directed by Clive Barker, and American Psycho. American Psycho being directed by Mary Hannon. Yes. Um, right. In the meantime, next week, you, you can look forward to the Steven Universe retrospective continues. We're looking at the first half of Steven Universe future. Hell first yeah. 10 episodes that should be a fun time i'm very much looking forward to the discussion um in the meantime this is hipster and the nerd we do this every week usually um you can uh you can find us on spotify apple podcast most uh podcast platforms please spread the word leave us a nice review if you uh hit us up on you know talk about us on social media hashtag hipster and the nerd help us grow the show very much appreciated um I am Chris Hanna. You can find me at MegaNerd98 on Twitter and Letterboxd. And where can they find you, Brian? Hope. I'm stuck inside the Jupiter Pong Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> but if you actually want to find me, you can find me at Twitter at Brian Brecker, or you can find my Letterboxd account at BBreck2. I've recently been rewatching the Saw franchise, so if you <laughs> want to see my new updated list, I hope you will enjoy that. Yeah, and uh, for me on Letterboxd, um... Uh, Bill and Ted 3 comes out in a couple weeks, so you can look forward to my Bill and Ted 1 and 2 uh, uh, rewatches. That should be fun. Um, but yeah, in yeah. the meantime, you know, that has been the show. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We will see you next time. And I just want to apologize to Mike's mom and Josh's mom and my mom. I am so, so sorry. Because it is my fault. Because it was my project. The search of the three missing Montgomery College students continues in Frederick County tonight. Ten days and thousands of man hours have been unable to produce any clues. We have a few leads, um, a few other options we want to take advantage of and just try to put together some, uh, some pieces to this puzzle. Do you believe the occult may be involved in the disappearance of your son? I am so scared. Everyone has a birthday they'll always remember. Can we open my presents now, Mommy? A good guy! I knew it! <laughs> I, I'm Chucky. He's something, isn't he? This is Andy's. Time for bed, Andy. Good night, baby. Good night, Aunt Maggie. Everyone knows most accidents happen at home. How did that happen? This is no accident. Andy! I'm Detective Mike Norris. Homicide. Andy! Miss Peterson's dead, Miss Barclay. She fell from the kitchen window. Someone's moved in with the Barclay family. And so has terror. 
Nobody believes you about Chucky. Came alive in my hand. I, I, I. Oh, for God's sake! Why won't you believe? Because I'm sane. This is Barkley, sane and rational. No one believes the truth. Or lives to tell it. There's nothing nice about murder. And there's nothing innocent about child's play.